Good morning. My name is Jake, and we're going to continue in the Gospel of John today, picking up in John 8, beginning in verse 12. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. And once you've got your uh, finger on the verse to begin, uh, I would invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes, to have a moment of stillness as we pray that God would open up the word to us. For those of us, for those of you who come in this morning and are feeling distracted, pray right now that the Holy Spirit would get your attention in the words of Christ. For those of us who are just exhausted, pray right now that the Holy Spirit would give you enough energy to see Jesus clothed in Scripture. For those of you that are brokenhearted, feel like giving up, and feel worn down, pray right now that the Spirit of God, through his words and through Jesus, would encourage you, lift you up. And now let us all pray that, God, you would give us the heart of Moses for your scripture, and that we say to you right now, God, as he did in the desert, if you do not show yourself to us, we do not want to go from here. So open your words to us, Jesus, in your name that we pray, amen. So apparently, there are billions of rogue planets that are flying around out in the universe right now. Yeah, I was all equally like, what the heck? Uh, Planets that are very much like our own in size, in nature, but the one thing that they lack from Earth is that they are not orbiting a star. They're just spinning off into the blackness of space. And so in a lot of ways, they are, well, not a lot of ways, in every way, they are dead planets, rogue planets. They no longer have anything to give them light, which leads to life. I uh, stumbled onto like a YouTube video because I don't know, I get geeked out about this kind of stuff and I started watching it. I was like, this is real? So apparently these planets actually didn't start off rogue planets and there is even a bit of scientific thinking on how could Earth even become a rogue planet? Could that happen to our planet? And the adventure that it could be possible and how these rogue planets are created is essentially what would happen is as Earth continues to orbit the sun, there might be another large, massive asteroid or kind of like a pseudo star, like a brown dwarf. And if it came in contact with our solar system, got close enough, its gravitational pull would begin to pull Earth out and eject it out of the solar system. For the kids in the room, do not worry. <laughs> At present, this is not going to happen. But they, the scientists play out what would essentially happen to our world if this did happen. In a sense, we wouldn't even know that it happened at first. It would take years. We would just notice that the sun begins to get dimmer and dimmer. And by the time that we'd gotten close to the orbit of Mars, the ice caps of Earth would have extended across the entire surface. At that point, all plant life would have died off because of the cold and would not have enough light to even survive. 
At that point, most of the animals would have died off, and human beings, if they rallied together, maybe could continue to survive for a bit. But by the time we got into the orbit of Jupiter, it would be colder on the surface of the planet than it is the coldest recorded temperatures on Antarctica all over across the globe. All of life would cease to exist because the light from the sun is what brings the life. By the time we got to Pluto, it would be so cold that the oxygen in the atmosphere would become snow, freeze, and rain down and seal off our planet as it continues to eject from the solar system and go off into the blackness of space. Again, as of yet, it's not, not, not happening. <laughs> Don't be like, oh my gosh. But it's this picture of essentially how these planets are created in the world, the further they get away from the sun, the further they are to death. Because light brings life. Light brings life. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of Life, light brings life. It is the defining reality of literally everything else. The only reason you know anything exists around you is because light is present to illuminate reality. Jesus claims that he is the light of life. The story of our planet, though we have not necessarily been ejected out of our solar system, is the story still of a rogue planet. Since Adam and Eve, the God of Israel, has been chasing after our earth and our people and our world that has been on a journey of getting as far as it can away from the light. And in the process, has become to die. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So our big idea today is Jesus is the light of the world. In the midst of the arguments about who Jesus is, remember, we're back in the temple. And the entire gospel of John so far is one big question of who is this Jesus guy? And the last time that we leave off when Will was preaching, we saw the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. But right before that, if you remember, there was an argument. And at the end of the argument, the Pharisees ended up saying, search and see, and you'll find out that no prophet comes from Galilee. So Jesus stands up and says, in that moment, I am the light of the world. Everyone in that moment would have froze. They would have heard what Jesus said. They would have had full knowledge of what he just did. They just said, no prophet comes from Galilee. And Jesus basically just quotes Isaiah 9. We're gonna throw it on the screen for you guys. There will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them, the light has shown. Jesus just stood up in the middle of the temple and claimed 
that he is the sun, (laughs) that he is the light by which all life gets their life. He just stood up in the midst of this heightened religious atmosphere and said only what God can say. And they would have known what he was doing. (laughs) They essentially say, no prophet comes from Galilee. You guys should know that. And Jesus stands up and says, yeah, read your Bible. This was profited from the beginning. And the only God who saves and says that he is the light. Well, you know what? I am the light. Jesus is the light of the world. And they respond, understandably so, Jesus you can't be your own hype man. Like if you stand up here and you know, they, they, they say, you are bearing witness about yourself, your testimony's not true. So Jesus responds, and the first thing that we'll see about Jesus being the light of the world is that Jesus is the light and the source of light is the Father. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. They say, Jesus, you can't be your own hype man. Jesus says, actually, I can My witness about myself is true because I came from the Father and I'm going back to the Father. My witness is true and trustworthy because of my origin and my destination, Jesus says. He knows that he is from above, they are from below. He knows that he comes straight from God. And so though they wouldn't want to see somebody else give a testimony for him, he in himself is fully enough to be able to give his own testimony. He is from God the Father and going back to the Father. And as much as they might be blind to the reality in front of them, they are still confused as to what town he's from. The oxymoron is that plain in sight, here is the light of the world and the world is demanding that they put light on trial. You can't put light on trial. Light light does not prove that it's existing or there, right? Right? How do you know light's there? Because it's there. It's the thing that you see everything else by. And so Jesus uses that metaphor and it pulls out kind of the insanity of what's going on. Here is God come down to speak to his creation and they are demanding that God prove himself. Who's gonna testify on God's behalf? Like is Jesus gonna be like, okay, I'm God, but uh, let me grab this. This person's got a college education. I'm sure they can testify to me. Jesus is from the Father, and so he points to the source of truth as his Father. There are about three ways, I mean, I made them up, so there might be more, but three ways that I think that we see truth in our world. And one of you, one of them, you will, you will lean into, you will connect with more. The first one is rational. If you can explain it to me, if you can prove it to me, then I will believe it to be true. The other one is experiential. If I have experienced it, then I know it's true. And the third one is cultural. If the people that I trust around me, whether it be a small, like tight-knit community or larger, like culture, if the people that I see around me say it's true, then I will trust it's true. 
All of these things, I think, are God-given. They're very good lenses to discern truth. But what Jesus is saying is that the core of truth for him is connection to the Father. The core of truth for him is intimacy and relationship with the Father. All of these ways that we see truth, and one of them you're gonna lean into and you're gonna hear more, all of them are beautiful. But if they get separated from unity with God, the creator, they get manipulated and warped. This last year, we have seen countless examples, and in your own life, I know, you can think of them right off the top of your head, how somebody used one of those different lenses of truth to manipulate and lie. But Jesus points that the truth, that the core of his truth and reliability is relational intimacy with God himself. That is what makes him true and trustworthy. Jesus says, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. But if I did, and then he goes on to explain again that the Father stands with him so he can speak truth. They judge according to the world's standards. Jesus isn't here to judge at all, but if he was, then he would be the true judge. And this, as I'm reading the Bible, I'm going, that doesn't make any sense. If Jesus is the judge, how can he not be the judge? (laughs) If he says he's not here to judge, but then he goes on and says, but if I was, and then he tells us how to do it, that seems to be like contradictory, right? Just me? I'm the only one who gets confused by the Bible? Okay, cool. (laughs) Guess you got to figure it out, but I'm going to explain how I got there. When we read this and we see how Jesus is judged, but then also not the judge, think about the story right before this where Jesus is brought the woman caught in adultery, and they all assume Jesus will judge and condemn her. What does Jesus do? He does not judge her. But what does that do to everybody else around him? It judges and condemns them. Not because Jesus came to judge. He is the light. He is the very source of life. He came to bring salvation to you. But what happens is the light is coming to a world that is so used to darkness that when it comes, we squint. We're so used to the dark that the very presence of light brings judgment on a world of darkness. Jesus can be judged and not judged at the same time because the Father stands with him. So anywhere Jesus goes, truth stands up and speaks, and that condemns the darkness. Jesus is on a mission to save and to bring freedom. That is the mission the Father sent him on. Because he's the truth, it exposes the lies. He continues, in your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I'm the one who bears witness about myself and the father who bears witness, or the father who sent me bears witness about me. Jesus further responds to them, okay, you need two witnesses, right? And that's how it went in Jewish court. You need two witnesses. He goes, okay, myself and the father. One, two, we're done. Let's move on. But but the way that Jesus speaks and the way that he brings us up, it actually exposes even further the darkness. Here's Here's a question. Why does our world need two witnesses? Why is one witness not good enough in court? Because one could lie. And what Jesus is saying in that moment exposes the world that he has come to. Think about it. If he is the truth and he came to a world of truth and he stood up and said, I am the light, then the world that's obsessed with truth would go, yeah, of course. But we live in a, we live in a world 
that is so used to the dark that the chances are that one might be lying. So you need two witnesses. But Jesus stands up and says, the witness is me and my father. Jesus is the light and the source is the father. This exposes just how messed up our world is. If we lived in a world that loved truth, you wouldn't need two. He has to refer to two because every single one of us has been lied to at some point in your life. And so as time goes on, we get more and more skeptical. Even when things are true, we find we get skeptical. We even get skeptical as we get older that God's love would be that good for us. It is the oldest problem in the Bible and the first result of sin. Think about the story of Adam and Eve. I've always thought about this. Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge and good of evil. And the first thing that they do is they run away from each other and they cover up because they know now that they are naked. I've always thought that was odd, that that was the first thing they do because at this point I'm assuming they're married. So, right, like they would have been naked. And yet in that moment, they have to hide from one another because before that moment, God defined good. And so when he introduced Adam to Eve, he pointed to Eve and said, Adam, this is the definition of beauty in your wife. And Adam's like, do you say it is? So be it. And Eve was told by God, this is your husband whom I have given you. This is enough. And she goes, yeah. And yet when they eat and now Adam defines good and evil for himself, Eve defines good and evil for himself. So Eve thinks, what if his definition of good is no longer so she has to cover up. And Adam thinks, what if Eve's definition of good and evil is different than mine? What if she looks at me and it's no longer good? And so he covers up. The source of truth is supposed to be God from the beginning. Jesus is the standard of truth. And that truth comes the fact that he is so intimately tied to and connected to the relationship of God. He comes from God, so he is trustworthy. If he speaks, it's true because he came from the Father. If he judges, it is just and true because the Father is right there with him. If Jesus witnesses to himself, it's true because every time Jesus speaks, the Father speaks a second word in union. And this is really, this is why every one of us who would call ourselves followers of Christ are sitting here. You heard the words of Jesus and deep within your soul, God spoke and said, that is true. Over the years, I have seen countless of times where each of these standards of truth that we in our world have has has failed to work in the way that I thought. I've seen people pray for miracles that God would show up so that they might believe they got the miracle they asked for and then they walked away uninterested. We have seen people who have been soaked in the community of the people of God where everyone encourages them and still, despite the fact that the whole culture says it, they walk away. The way that we belong to this faith and the way that we know Jesus is trustworthy and true is only if God speaks a second word of truth. Light does not prove itself. By nature, we only know anything else exists because of light. Jesus is the 
when he says he is, and he can only prove himself by himself. But still, they do not know. Think about this. When you go outside and you look up at the sky, are you looking at the sun or are you looking at light rays? Both. (laughs) The only reason you see the sun is because the beams and light rays of life proceed from the sun into your eyes. So you are seeing light rays, but you are seeing the sun. So it is with Jesus. He is so tied to you and proceeding from the Father. When we see him, that is how we see God. But they're unconvinced. So he said to them again in verse 21, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sin for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light that warns us. He is the light that warns us. They will not hear, they will not listen. The world is still speeding its way out into black oblivion, and Jesus has come to bring life, but the world will not listen. The world is so used to the darkness that it cannot even recognize the light. And so Jesus comes bringing a warning. He has explained to them who he is, and they did not receive it. He has demonstrated by miracles who he is, and they would not receive it. He has spent countless hours in the late evenings with Nicodemus and others who have asked just, who are you? And he has explained in a way they might connect with, and they still do not receive it. So what Jesus does now is he says, as clear as possible, Believe that I am the light or die in darkness and sin. Believe that I am he, the living God come to you, the one source of life, the only one who can save or death and darkness is the only other path. Jesus has in this moment made it so clear there is no middle ground or neutral. You are walking towards God or you're walking towards death. And these warnings, they act a lot like a kick in the chest because I think that our culture is not used to receiving them. But throughout scripture, there are two sides of the pathway walking towards God in scripture. One is promises. And we need to hear those promises because sometimes we just don't know if we can even make it. But there are times where the scripture speaks with a warning as the other wall. Do not go over the other side. There is death. I I do not want to in any way take away some of the intensity or bite of Jesus's language. But sometimes I think we need our ears turned a little bit, tuned a little bit to be able to hear it. What Jesus said is offensive to the world. He just said, there is no way to life but me. That is a crazy claim. And he said, every other path is death. But as I was reading this with some of the other uh, pastors and people in the offices came in the week, what we realized is when we read certain passages like this, at least me and a few other friends, my gut flinch at first reading this is to imagine Jesus kind of like the posture of like, look, I told you already, 
you haven't figured it out, so guess what? You're gonna die, see ya. You know, like he has a stern, mad kind of face of like, I'm gonna show you. That's, that's kind of, at least for me, my first gut flinch sometimes to assume that Jesus might be like that. But I love that John has put a clue. In verse 22, the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? Why would they ask if he was gonna kill himself? Two options. They are either mocking him because that's the only place they could not follow. Or something in Jesus' demeanor and the way he is speaking is so distressed, they think he's about to lose it. His posture, his emotions, the attitude, the facial expressions, how his eyes look, something is so present in him that they look at him and go, this is a distressed man. Will he kill himself? Jesus is pleading with them. This is an emotional cry of Jesus. This is supposed to be heard as if Jesus is coming to them and coming to us and saying, look, I have explained it to you as best as I can. What if Jesus loves them in this moment? What if he's looking at them, looking at us and going, look, I've explained it every way that I can. I have tried reason. I have tried experience. I have tried to point to the scriptures and the culture. I have tried it all, but you will not listen. If you keep going down this path, you will die. I'm running out of time, Jesus says. I'm not gonna be with you much longer. There is time ticking on the clock and you are either walking towards me or you're walking towards death. I don't want you to go to death. The warning brings life. When a scuba diver drowns because he refuses to pay attention to his oxygen gauge, are we outraged at oxygen? If a railroad crossing sign is dinging and the sign comes down with lights flashing, stop, do not cross, are we frustrated and mad at how inconsiderate and unloving the sign is? Mothers and dads in the room. Are you emotionally abusive, hurtful, or cruel when your baby daughter or baby son starts sprinting full speed towards traffic and the freeway and you scream out in the loudest, most gut-wrenching voice that you can, stop! Even to the point where your kiddo starts crying because they're so shocked? No. That's love. And the love of Jesus, the light, warns what is coming. I'm sure Jesus would love not to warn. Would love to just say to us, I love you, believe me. And we go, yep, there it is. But if we will not listen, he will warn because he loves us. So today, hear the words of Jesus. Some of you do not believe. You toy with the idea that maybe one day you will go all in with following Jesus. But for now, you assume there's still plenty of oxygen in the tank, plenty of time for later in life. Listen to the words of Jesus. You are running out of time. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Some of us already believe but we have been toying around on the train tracks of following Jesus and still wanting to follow the world. 
we think surely this sin is not that dangerous. I don't see a train coming yet. And so we ignore the warning lights, hear the words of Jesus, get off the tracks. Some of us following Jesus have grown tired or used to it. We have come to the light and the suffering and the exhaustion that comes from following Jesus in a world of darkness has led us to fantasize about what the dark used to be like. Maybe it wasn't that bad. We entertain the thoughts of what it might be like just to walk away towards the speeding traffic. The cars do look exciting as they fling on by. Hear the words of Jesus. Stop. Turn back. As I was thinking about this, something came to my mind. Some of you are gonna hear this and Satan's gonna try to lie to you. I just wanna rebuke that lie. He's going to say that you've already started walking towards the darkness. You're too far gone, so don't even worry about it. Just keep walking that far away. That is a lie from hell. The very thing that defines that we are children of the light, that we are of God, is every time salvation is extended to us, we take it. Every time that we walk away, we walk back. Every time we hear the voice of our Savior crying out, stop, we stop in our tracks and we run to him crying. So don't let Satan tell you you're too far gone ever because the cross proves that is never true. Amen. But for some of us, uh, our hearts are even too hard for the warnings to get our attention. Jesus says, believe that I am the very holy name of God himself. In verse 25 and 26, they misunderstand him. They say, well, who are you? Jesus says, believe that I am. And they go, believe that I am who? Finish your sentence, Jesus. And Jesus responds to them saying, what I've been telling you from the beginning. I'm not saying anything new to you. It was in John chapter 1. The light has come to us. The word has put on flesh. God is here to love and chase his world. But they cannot hear it. They did not understand in verse 27 that he had been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light that reveals, and he reveals the love of God. When? When? When will the world stop spinning out of control on its way to darkness and finally see the light? When? When will God finally get our attention when we are so stubborn that even warnings will not get our eyes? When? When you've lifted up the Son of Man. Only when you've lifted up the Son of Man, Jesus says, then you will see that I am He. There is no revelation of God to our world except in the revelation of Jesus hanging on the cross. 
There is no way to see God except you looking at Jesus as he hangs there bloodied and dying and spending his life out for us. There is no revelation in which we see the love of God more clearly. We see how far he's willing to go for this world that is spent and bent on darkness than when you look at the moment of the greatest darkness in the world, the crucifixion. That is the true revelation of the love of God. Then you will know. Then you will know that I am he. Which is a quote that Jesus pulls right out of Isaiah 43. And I want to throw it on there for us to read together. It says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be anyone after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. Only when we see Jesus heading his whole life and ministry, this sum of it was to die, that we see the love of God. Then we realize he was who he says he was. Jesus is the source of light and life in his connection to the Father. When you see the cross, when you hear Jesus scream out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then you know how much value you have to him. When you see Jesus hanging on the wood and bleeding out and suffocating to death, and he gasps out, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Then you'll know how far he's willing to forgive the darkness in you. When you see the cross, when you see this ugly and grotesque device for humiliation and torture, and that that was the plan of Jesus all along, then you will know that only that could be the plan of God. No man would create that. If you have not yet believed today, I would say it is because you have not really considered the cross. For those of us who have entertained the idea of darkness again, Look again at the cross. Let today be the day where we fix our eyes and never look off again the cross of Jesus. At this time, I want to invite us into a time of communion. I'll invite the band onto stage and then you guys can grab the elements of communion, which I forgot. Will, you got one? Thanks, bro. I can't believe I did this again. <laughs> Here's what I would say. If you, by your own words, would say that you are not a follower of Jesus, you don't know yet, you're still just exploring this and trying to figure this out, I would, I would ask you actually not to take this. Just... Set aside, and what I would invite you to do instead, actually, is to come up and receive prayer. If you heard this and you're like, oh, I actually do want to believe, then come up. We'd love to pray for you. If you are in a place in your life where, like, my heart is so hard, I, I don't want any of that, but maybe I at least want to want to do that, come up. Our team would love to pray for you. For those of us who follow Christ, look at the bread and look at the wine. See the body hanging 
see the blood being poured out of his body and know that Jesus is the light that shatters the darkness. Take and eat. Take then the wine now and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. Thank you.